0: Hey, I was, uh, a few of us were at at a historic soccer game this week in Edmonton. Y'all know what soccer is? Pastor Mark from Haiti Arise, you were there with me. (laughs) You didn't die because of the cold. (laughs) You know, I was feeling this in another service. I was feeling this this, because uh, let me just set it up for you. I would rather lose my voice here than lose my voice at that game. Worshipping the God of all gods, but I definitely lost my voice at that game. And here's why, here's why. Because uh, Canada, against all odds, beat, beat uh, Mexico. Now, I don't know who bribed who to get that game in Edmonton in November. But sometimes, you know what you're worried about? You're worried about your life. I come in, I'm worried about maybe the power of the enemy or the power of chaos or some debt that you carry. And you come in and you're all worried about it. You're bogged down in your soul. And you find out that the field that you're playing on, that the Holy Spirit of God in this service as we lift up the name of Jesus and then receive the word of the Lord and go out and obey it, that he changes the conditions on the field because the Mexicans have never played in anything like that before, I can guarantee it. And the Colt just about killed them and Canada won. Now here's the thing, Mexico is way better than we are at football, soccer, way better. They should have destroyed us. Now our Canadian team is maybe as good as it's ever been, but that's nothing compared to a place you can play soccer all year round and not for four days. And I feel like what God is gonna do and this sermon is something that he can do every, every Sunday that you come here to the house of the Lord. He can change the conditions on the field and the enemy can't play in the conditions that it gets changed to. And every one of those kids that grew up in Canada playing in the cold and running around and working on the farm or whatever that looks like, starting your car when it's cold. I know you all want to move someplace warm. You know, I get it. We just vacation there, but God has called us here. And they make tough people when it's cold. And I want the enemy, when he faces something, when you come against the enemy in the the name of the Lord, I want him to be like, oh no, here comes David again. Oh my goodness, the conditions have changed. You know, I want there to be some, some faith that rises up inside you. Today we're talking about how do we discover our purpose. So has this sermon series been good for you? There's four things that you need to do, kind of road signs along the way. The first thing is you need to know God. You need to know God. Before you do anything else, you need to know God. Then you need to find freedom. And uh, some of you got past your past, but you didn't go through it. God needs to go back and redeem it so that the past doesn't belong to the enemy anymore. It belongs to him. That is a powerful thing. There's no more chains on you so that you can do what we're talking about today, discovering purpose. Pastor, how do I discover my purpose on this earth? What do I do? I'm going to show you. I got a bunch of these bullet points. It's just going to lay it all out for you for what to do next. And then so you can make a difference in this world. Can I ask a question? If, if, if you could fast forward to your funeral, what would they say about you? Am I the only one who's ever thought about this? Look, every kid's thought about this one. my dad used to ask me to take the trash out. And I'd be like, I'm going to take the trash out. How come Ryan doesn't have to do anything? Take the trash out, get hit by a car, and then you'll be at my funeral. Like, why did I make us take the trash out? I should have made Ryan do something. And he should have. It's every sermon I end up talking about my brother Ryan. Sometimes when you're feeling sorry for yourself, you go to this place where you're like, yeah, and then at my funeral, then he'll feel sorry for me. As if you're gonna be at your funeral. I mean, you know, like you're gonna be there, but not like be there, be there. You know what I mean? But what are people gonna say about you when you go at your funeral? Have you ever hit fast forward to there? Because if you'd be disappointed or bored or alarmed with the video that they're gonna play of your life at the end of your life, then today's sermon is gonna be a huge gift because you need to leave behind something in this earth that matters. You and I, we have this need, we need to matter in this world. But if we try to go about discovering our purpose the way that society and the world around us tells us, we're never gonna get there. And so, and it wouldn't matter because you'd get to the wrong place anyways. So, So, here's what I'm thinking. Like, would somebody have to make up something about your life to make it sound cool? I was at a funeral one time of somebody's grandfather and the only compliment that I heard from anybody was, well, he was really strong and he could lift a barrel up onto a truck. And I'm like, so can a forklift. Got me thinking, is that the only thing? Well, first of all, they're not gonna be able to say that I could lift a barrel onto to a truck, cause I can't, it'd take like 10 of me. But is that it? That's all that there is. At the end of, no, there has to be more. You have to leave something behind you when you leave this earth. Thanks, Sean. Or you can be like these guys. I trot these funny obituaries out every now and again. You ready? William Ziegler escaped this mortal realm on Friday. I found this on the interweb. At the age of 69, we think he did it on purpose to avoid having to make a decision in the pending presidential election. He leaves behind four children five grandchildren and the potted meat industry for which he was an unofficial spokesman until dietary restrictions forced him to eat real food." (laughs) It's kind of funny though, right? Here's another one. Mr. Hacker died April 9th, leaving behind, then it says this, I'm gonna change it, behind a heck of a lot of stuff. His wife and daughter have no idea what to do with. So if you're looking for car parts for a Toyota, A BMW, a Triumph, a Dodge, or Ford, between the years of about fifty-three and two thousand thirteen, or maybe, maybe this this way, maybe a half a dozen circular saws still in their boxes with the Home Depot receipts attached. You should wait the appropriate amount of time and get in touch. (laughs) Anybody have boxes from things that you haven't even opened yet? It'd be kind of funny though. Here's my favorite one. Val Patterson. He writes of himself, Now that I have gone to my reward, I have confessions and things I should now say. As it turns out, I am the guy who stole the safe from the Motorview Inn back in 71. <laughs> <laughs> I could have left that unsaid, but I wanted to get it off my chest. Also, also, and this is my favorite part of all of these, I am I really am not a PhD. What happened was that the day I went to pay off my college student loan, the girl working there put my receipt into the wrong stack. And two weeks later, a PhD diploma came in the mail. I didn't graduate. In fact, I never did learn what the letters PhD stood for. (laughs) For all the electronics engineers I've worked with, I'm sorry, but you have to admit my designs always worked very well and I always made you laugh at work. Yeah. You know, um, I think the last two years have been hardest on people. Um, Just I think in in my experience has been hardest on people around us, not the the people in the poorest areas or the. I think it's been hardest on people who didn't hadn't discovered their purpose yet. Eighty seven percent of people don't. I think a high percentage of church people never really discover why God put them on this earth. And, and I, I think as I look around at people, I think all the distractions got peeled away. You know, your purpose is not to run your kids around to 47 right. hockey practices. Like, that's not a purpose for life. Your purpose. Why did God put you here? Like, you. Not a human. Not a number. You. Yeah. Why did he make you the way that you are and then put you here? Um, and I feel like the people around us are just desperate for somebody to be around them to live in, the, in their to work in their division who actually knows why they're here who actually are, are living according to their purpose and making a difference in the world but i think to get there sometimes you've got to go to the end you know our family was a little bit uh odd growing up we thought it was normal like you did until you went to your friend's house when you were 13 and you're like oh this is normal oh our family's not normal our family used to, when we were kids, we would have, uh, dad would be like, okay, guys, we need to talk about our last will and testament, like at dinner time." We would just sit there and this would be a normal conversation in our home. Okay, so if mom and I die, you know, like pass the corn. <laughs> so when we die, we'd have these like just straight up, I mean, my parents are farmers, so they just talked about it, right? So when we die, um, you know, here's, and, and we're like, it was, it's an interesting conversation because we're like, so how much are you worth? You know, like, what are we getting, right? Cause you know, you're in junior high and you're a boy. So you're stupid. You're like, so what are we getting? Like we could do all sorts of crazy stuff, you know? And dad would, would be like, this is how I'm laying it out. You know, you're not going to get money when you're 18. Or when you're 21, probably it's gonna be held in trust or whatever he did, you know, his decisions. Here's the executor of the estate. And I'm like, dad, I feel like as the firstborn, I should be the executor of the estate. Also, I would push heavily to biblically doing the inheritance biblically. Do we got any firstborns here? Where the the oldest child gets the double portion of the, because if you give the inheritance to the prodigal son, he's gonna just spend it on pigs and eat with pigs. And we all know this. (laughs) And all the firstborns said, amen. amen. Read the Bible, yeah, come on now. You can trust us with it. I'll have to take care of my brother Ryan when he's spent his life with the pigs. I get it. I always go after Ryan in these sermons. I think it's funny. We used to have these talks about it. So we kind of got us thinking as kids, but i had been thinking about that, about, about what it would look like at the end for a long time in my life. I don't know why if I was just kind of tuned that way. Um, but it's funny, you know, if you, if you get to the end and you don't know why you existed and you haven't made a difference yet in your lifetime, you know, like, wouldn't that be a massive regret for you? I mean, and, and the people around you that missed your gift this whole time. Um, we were, we were, do you guys know who Derek and Amanda are? Um, they were on our Zoom calls, men's and women's Zoom calls, but they used to live in Williams Lake. Yeah, that's Derek right there. They used to live in Williams Lake in BC, right? I didn't warn him I was going to say his name. I don't have to, you know, because I have a microphone and stuff, but the... We, we saw them, and then they actually, they moved to Airdrie to go to Church venue. I mean, it's a pretty good deal, really. It's like, you can relocate your job, but like, hey, we need people to help us move. So, <laughs> that's what your small group is really there for, everybody, to help you move. And so, um, but they came here, and I was, I was, we were working in our new building. We were building a new building right there, um, which we should be in maybe like in a month, hopefully. And so, um, so I was doing some My trade is electrical. I was doing some controls uh, upstairs and Amanda was painting uh, pastor Aaron's office in that area. And we were having this discussion and she says to me, so, okay, so I'm gonna, I joined, I've joined a freedom group. Like I said, you know, January, we have a a lot of people signed up. You're gonna wanna sign up and and find freedom. And um, she's like, so I'm, I'm joining a freedom group, but then she says, am I allowed to like discover my purpose before I'm finished? freedom group. And I thought, well, it's a totally legitimate question. I'm like, no, no. I'm like, no, yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of talk through, um, some, just some bullet points here. First of all, what is purpose? Number one, what is purpose? What does that mean to, uh, somebody who's adopted in the family of God to you? And if you're not adopted in the family of God, just go to the prayer corner and take care of it after the sermon and then get adopted because for every child, there's an inheritance and there's a gifting and there's a calling And um, so what is purpose? Purpose is is the thing that God designed you for. So like he made Eric a certain way and the devil made him like country music. And then God is trying to, I decided to take a shot at country. Do you even like country music? Oh, does anybody like country music? I'll make fun of you. Jen, okay. Jen, God made Jen. And then the devil made her like country music. I don't know why I do this right now. I watched a voice, so I'm kind of warming up to it right now, but don't tell anybody. Um, so, so can I discover my purpose when I'm young? Can I, you know what? My kids know some of their purpose already. Um, you can discover it, but it will, you have to understand this is like a role that you play, a thing that you do. It will, it will develop or, but it will shift and change. And so, so even at venue church, your role here is going to shift and change. It's a family, the family grows, then somebody else takes out the garbage. You know what I mean? And so it, it shifts and change. Venue church, like you were super valuable to us before you ever did anything here. It has nothing to do with that. You're a son or daughter of God. Of course, you're valuable. Jesus died for you. We would too. A life saved is worth everything. But you gotta understand, like my role at church changes like 15 times a year. I gotta shift and change. And so, but my purpose is this thread that goes through that, that has to mature and come into fruition. And you know, and so, um, so th- there, there will be certain types of things that you do Um, in your lifetime or conversations, maybe there's a type of a conversation, um, or a situation that you will be kind of specifically anointed to deal with. Now I'm going to use the word anointing there. So think about your purpose. There's going to be something that God made you to do that when you're in that chair or that seat on the bus or that type of scenario that you know what to do and you know, what somebody else ought to do in that, in that scenario. Okay, so number two, how do we discover purpose? Now, this is what I wrote here. You discover purpose or your anointing. Let me explain what anointing is. You discover your anointing by being under anointing. I'm preaching about uh, Esther, um, a young woman today in the scriptures who discovered her anointing being under anointing. Now you can go to church and be around it, but not under it. And so an anointing from God, a calling from God, a purpose from God, is an anointing in your life. So what's an anointing? So they used to anoint the priests in the Old Testament with oil. And it was like the grace of God on them to fulfill a role, to fulfill a purpose in serving the people. Ready? The anointing is like a conduit that God pours water through you to somebody. So you're sitting in a room and and things are, are broken and falling apart. And God pours something through you to get to them. So your job is to discover that conduit and to plug all the gaps, make sure that you're not trying to run to the wrong thing or out of the wrong thing. Or you have to, your job is to make sure that everything that God wants to get through you gets through you to the place that God wants. So how do I discover my purpose? You've got to get under the anointing because the anointing is for somebody else. And you have to get under somebody else's anointing to get to the place where God releases your anointing. You're like, wait a minute. I thought that this was all about me being anointed so that people can bring me coffee. No. Jesus came to serve. Yeah. So I'll, I'll get into that in a minute too. Now, your gift doesn't seem like much. You might be thinking like they're super, I grew up with very talented people around me. The funny thing is I'm the only one left and God seems to be using me. So like, yay, default. Your faithfulness and loyalty matter more than you think. Look, there's lots of talented people out there that are making no difference in the world. Or they're just using it on themselves. Who cares? You know, and so, so it's not about talent. Look, God can, God can pour talent and anointing into a rock. Sometimes you just need to lob the rock that is your life into the local church so that God can start using you. I, I don't know why I said it that way, but I don't know. It made sense in my brain. Number three, your gift takes time to develop. It takes time you're gonna drive some people crazy along the way. Hey, if you have kids, anybody have kids? Okay, if you don't have kids and even if you want kids or you just wanna pour into the next generation, pour into the next generation, go work in venue kids. Go work at venue youth, you know, like, your life needs to be pouring into somebody else so they don't have to do the same stupid stuff you did to get you, like, they should start where you ended, right? So pour into the next generation, we need it. We need some grandmas and grandpas right now with a bit of grit. We're like, hey, the world is not ending. Oh my goodness. Like, come on, we can do it. Um, but your gift is going to drive people crazy. My gift drove my mom crazy because I ask why? 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 I would say my gift drove dad crazy, but it didn't because dad doesn't care. You know what? I'd be like, but why dad? You know what he said every single time? Anybody got a dad? Because I said so. Why? Why, but that's not why because I actually it is I gotta say it is why it's better to teach a child to obey than to think hold on hold on because if they start thinking before they start obeying their thinking's gonna be all messed up and when God says for you to obey something he doesn't need you to think he just needs you to do something so that he can make your brain smarter than it thinks it is oh preach it pastor preach to my teenagers sitting beside me you're totally right are you listening teenager? <laughs> So that God can consecrate your mind, so it actually functions properly, and you can actually see what's actually there and going on, and what the future is going to bring. Now, listen, my dad would say, "Because I said so." And then I'd be like, "But why is my curfew 11 o'clock in high school?" And he would say to me, "Because bad things happen after dark." I'm like, "It's dark at five o'clock these days. so I stay inside now?" <laughs> but you know what? I say to my kids right now, it's the same thing: because I said so, and because bad things happen after dark, be home at 11. So I get it. I get it. Your gift takes time to develop and you're going to drive somebody crazy because the very thing that God put in you as a gift, you can also turn and use for uh, bad purposes too. look at Samson, all the strength in the world. He was there to protect his people, but he spent most of his time chasing skirts. And then, right, you can spend your gift like uh, getting people to admire you if that's what you want to do. But that's not what it's for. He was supposed to be judging Israel, He was supposed to be protecting Israel and creating a a state of people that feared God and weren't afraid of the, the enemy around them. And he didn't. He just tried to use it for himself and. He'd get mad at the Philistines, so he'd pick up a gate and walk it up a hill. That's terrific, but the Philistines are still here. You know what I mean? So like, great, great job. You know, like uh, so you can carry gates around. That'd be great if <laughs> Sam's it. At his funeral, you know, like he could lift barrels onto trucks, you know. That'd be great if I had a bunch of barrels to move. But I, you know? So, anyways, um okay, number four, how does my gift flesh out? What do I mean by that? Like, how does it look? Uh, every day so my gift personally because I ask why I just why 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 you know and so um so I was at a business lunch and so I sit I sit with in Airdrie with people who are pretty successful at what they do but I don't sit there because they know business better than I do or their particular thing better than I do I don't I know my gift most of them have no idea why they're on this earth you know what my gift is why I told one person, I'm like, you know, the reason my dad wasn't like deathly afraid during COVID was because he made his peace with God a long time ago. And I, I, there's a way that I can say that that's not confrontational to somebody. I'm just, it's just telling dad's story. Why? Because I'm constantly thinking like, why? Why? Um, How does it flesh out? It will flesh out in little ways as you learn to mature and as you learn to serve and as you learn to plug the gaps in the conduit, God will start pouring his anointing out on you because... Again, it doesn't seem like much until you're the only. Your gift is the only one in the room that's needed. Then it seems like a lot, yeah. right? You, you sit there and look at all the talented people around you, like, "Well, I wish I had this and I wish I had that." And God's like, "But I didn't give you that. I want you to work on your gift." Could look at somebody else. Like some people look at the stage and they're like, "I wish that I could have a microphone and preach." No, you don't. I don't even want the microphone and preach. That's probably why God gave it to me. Now I don't mind it. <laughs> but look, it's a gift that it, there's a cost. There's a. There's a grace that comes on, I, we, but I need your gift. You know, like, oh my goodness, don't leave your gift alone to want to do mine. Like, why don't you let me do my thing and you do your thing and we'll come together and we get everything we need. So it kind of fleshes out, but you got to start like, hey, no, I need your gift. Aaron and I are very different from each other, but if I'd have married, like, if she'd have been exactly like me, which would be amazing. <laughs> like, one of us wouldn't still be here. I just say that, like, she's easy to get along with. She's easy to live with. We need that. The only problem is I got to live with her, which I love. But listen, we need the strengths and weaknesses. You know, we need the different things so that I can be like, no, this is your call. I don't know what that person is feeling and they're driving me crazy. And she'll be like, well, this is why because they're broken and they come from a, it's her gift. You know, you start, that's how it fleshes out. Now, uh, number um, number five, the world needs your gift. The people around you are desperate to find somebody who knows why they exist and what their purpose is and who are actually making a difference. They desperately need that because government can't show them. Like hockey can't show them. Medical system can't show you why, so you discover your purpose while you're here. They can't, only only God can. And only God's people can really help somebody discover their purpose in God, because it it starts with knowing God. Um, Why, why? When I was a kid, you know why I'm a creationist? Because nothing else, creating something out of chaos, creating order out of chaos, without a greater force applied to it, makes no sense to my why brain. Why? Big, Bang, Asteroids collided. That's great. So, Lee, why are you here, though? Because if it's an accident, then you're an accident. Listen, the whole theory, you know why I'm a creationist? Because it would take more faith for me to believe that there is no God. Far more faith. Everybody takes that last step of faith. And I think sometimes that scientists and people of that nature are trying to figure out the world out. You know what's better than figuring out a sunrise? Enjoying it sometimes. Right? And so there's this thing. There's this thing where you're trying to check boxes off so that you feel better about the things that you don't understand. But scientists still haven't figured out how to create something from nothing. Here's a room full of nothing. Create something. Clone nothing. Like, not clone nothing. I don't think we get more nothing. You could do that. (laughs) But like, make something out of a room full of nothing. Or put, lock 50 monkeys in a garage and give them 50 billion years and hope they build you a red Corvette. (laughs) If there's no outside force applied for good and order, order does not come from chaos unless something is applied to it. Why? Things that I wrestled with when I was a kid. Why? Why? But if you ask somebody, the world needs your gift. If you ask somebody like why three times in a row, their belief system will either break down or you'll see how solid it is. So like, so why are you here, Nastia? Why are you here? And if she says what Canadians say, I'm here to be a good person, why? Like sounds good, but why? What does that mean? And who's good? Right. And why do you, you know what good is or you decided good? Because we have this thing now where like, hey, good, there's good inside of all of us. You know, why? Where did it come from? Did it come from you? Because the, the devil's also in your two-year-old. Come on, I keep preaching about two-year-olds. There's bad inside of you too. Why? Where does it come from? Is there an author? You read the book every day in nature, and is there an author? Or did this book just magically appear? Who, you know, why? What's, the world needs your gift. Hey, in Vancouver, a young girl loses her father. She goes to school. Her school teacher pulls her aside and goes after her Christianity because the girl said, my dad's in heaven. And she's like, heaven is a fallacy. This is your belief system. And this is in Vancouver, in our nation. You know, I used to get super upset about things like that. Now I don't. You know why? Because if I had that teacher's dad, I'd probably think exactly the way that she would. If I'd had the hurt in her life that she doesn't know how to deal with, if I just hadn't asked the right questions yet. I would think exactly like that. So my response to the why is we built a church where you can ask why. Why? Because a life saved is worth everything. We have an identity. We have a purpose here that you're... Your unchurched friends will come in and sense. They may not agree with everything. We don't, you don't have to agree with anything to belong here. But along the way, look, we love you too much to leave you in the messed up state far from God. So we're going like to love you and teach you. And Even our church has an identity. Now, listen. Um, how do I start finding purpose? Here, here's a question. What do you naturally notice when you walk into a room? That might give you a little bit of a starting point. I notice when chairs are crooked i notice when the atmosphere is weird there's no music have you ever seen me when there's like it's before church and there's no music playing and i'm like why is it so dead in here like they're going to come in and it's going to be super awkward and i'm going to start talking super fast (laughs) in the right atmosphere we build the right atmosphere for the holy ghost i know the holy ghost can already change anything in a person's life but if you come in and you're not in the right place that's why we turn the lights down or turn the music up so that you can have this all-inclusive experience where you start forgetting about your life and start stop thinking and start worshiping, stop evaluating everything and start worshiping, and so that you can hear the voice of God and go and do it so that your life can get better and be blessed, and you can live close to the one who can who holds all things together. Um you know what Pastor Aaron notices? The person sitting on the crooked chair who's crying. And I'm like, well get her to straighten the chair out. <laughs> like, pray for her and get her all fixed up so that she can straighten the chair out, because it's driving me crazy, and somebody's gonna Trip on the chair. That's her gift. My gift. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, that's, how it, that's how I started. What do I notice when I walk into a room? Number seven, how does venue help you find purpose? Well, our weekend worship experience is about knowing God. We teach you a little more about God every week. Uh, then you worship, and then you go out and you do something. We pray for you. You know God. Uh, small groups is where we find freedom. If you're not doing life with people, you're never going to find freedom. You're never going to be able to keep it either. And the third thing, for discovering purpose and listen i don't think you can discover your solo purpose in this life because it will have to do with the corporate body of christ that's where it gets fleshed out and developed that's where it, without this your 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 singular anointing and purpose won't mean anything this is where it happens the nxt banner what's next for me at venue church right there that's you have to invest you have to get involved you have to You find out about us and our purpose and how your anointing comes into this anointing. And then we find out about you. That's why we do personality tests there because we don't want to put a person who's better at talking to computers talking to people. (laughs) You have to smile every now and again. Computers don't care if you never smile, that's fine. That's why you work on a computer, but we need people who (laughs) can smile out here. I'm more of an inward smiler. That's not a thing, everybody. Go work on a computer, that's fine. But at the front door, like people need to feel happy and joyful. Like you're trying to work them out, you know, like program them, you know, like, go program a computer, you know? All right. Um, listen, the base assumption beneath purpose is this, your destiny will look less like a platform and more like helping. The world says your destiny is so that you're great. God says your destiny is so that I'm great. And you'll never make a difference in this world. You'll never die happy until I'm great in your life. I'm the one pouring out through you to people. So you're not trying to pour out of your tiny little well. He's like, I have a never ending supply. You've got to create that condo. So it's not coming from you to your kids. It's coming from me to your kids. Cause this well never runs dry, you know, but your little well out of your, your heart shuffle rivers of living water. That's what you want the people around you to be experiencing. Your destiny is less like a platform for you and more like a platform for Jesus. So get used to that. When Jesus came, his entire life was a platform for his father and not himself. He washed the crud off of people's feet, and they're all shocked. They're like, important people don't do that. He's like, that's what makes me important, is I'm serving. All right. Um, how does my gift find a place amongst other people? You have to use your gift. Here's, I'm a little bit late. I'm going to get through the scripture here in a second, but just give me a second here. There's a, a young man in a family that something tragic happened to on a Wednesday. I find out about it on a Sunday morning. Somebody told me, and I'm like, we've got to get people to pray for them. And, and there's a young man in that family who is probably here, but I don't want to give you the details, but every week after church, you know, one, one day after church, I just needed a cup of coffee because I was like, oh, I'm so tired. I just wanted to, now I can drink caffeine. And I'm like, I just want a cup of coffee, but our team is so efficient that they already put the coffee away. And so, uh, so somebody brought it up to this. The next time they're like, hey, go ask uh, Pastor Cory, and they say this to this boy, go ask Pastor Cory if he wants a cup of coffee. And uh, so he comes to me on the Sunday after the Wednesday, and he's like, Pastor, would you like a cup of coffee? And I'm like, yes. Now, sometimes I don't need a cup of coffee and I don't care about coffee, I just, you know what I did? I'm just like, his gift gave him face-to-face time with this pastor who he desperately needed to hear something from God. So I just put my arms around and I'm like, hey, I'm just going to pray for you. Are you doing okay? I just put my arms around. I just put my hand on his heart. I'm just like, God, I just pray that he wouldn't be bitter. I just pray that his heart, oh God, I just pray you'd help. It was the anointing that his gift actually opened the gate of heaven to get exactly what he needed. His gift helped me use my gift to get heaven's gift. That's how your gift has worked out in people. You use your gift, God uses their gift, and God pours out his supply into you and The other person, and I got a coffee out of the mix. Here's the path to purpose for Esther, are you ready? Because the path, you know, you and I think that the path ought to be in this direction because we're Canadian and it makes sense to us. Okay, Um, Esther was the daughter of Abahel who was Mordecai's uncle. Uh, He had adopted his younger cousin Esther, I'll explain why. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, I'll explain that, she accepted the advice, here's the first step, of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested and she was admired by everyone who saw her. So let me just like take, tear down the whole thing of like, I want to discover my purpose when it's nice. Like I want my life to look like a vacation on a cruise ship that you didn't take your (laughs) pastor along. I I want my life to be a vacation so that I can find it like reading a book on the beach. Okay. You want to know what was really going on in Esther's life? She's an orphan. She, her whole nation is a captive nation. From a kind of a crazy guy who has 127 provinces that he rules over with a sword and got them with a sword. Um, Her parents are dead. The king is upset with his old wife because she told him the truth about something. (laughs) So he decided to trade her. And Esther is one of the girls that he's thinking about. It's her time to go to the king. So you're thinking like, oh, this is not a good situation. The next time you complain because you didn't get eight hours of sleep, you're like, I can't find my purpose today. I can't make a difference. Oh, my goodness, no. I need to have a nap. Think about Esther's life. This is her life. So she, she accepts the advice of this guy. Listen, here's, here's the number one. She was under, so God put her over. She came under the eunuch in charge of all these things because he knew what the king liked. She's like, I'm just going to do whatever you want. Whatever you say, I'm not going to do one thing more and one thing less than what you say. And she came under, and it says, everybody loved her who saw her, and the king, watch. The king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. Why? Because she came under. She wasn't important in her own eyes. She just like, okay, I'm just going to come under. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. Guys, you don't get to do that, so shut up. Now... Especially when your wife tells you the truth about something. Now, Esther, why would I I go there and make things weird? Okay, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. Listen, listen. She was still following Mordecai's directions just as she did when she lived in his home. She was under, watch. Her platform was not her making her own decisions. Her platform was not her making her own decisions. Some of you think that's why God can't promote you because you think that your platform is where you get to decide you think the pastor is pastor because I get to decide a bunch of things? You know how I do it? Oh, Jesus, help. What do you want us to do? You don't like the thing that I decided? Okay, let's do that thing. Then I go and tell the team leads, this is what we're doing. Then i It's not for me to make decisions. It's for me to ask God to make decisions so that I can execute those decisions. That's powerful. Sometime later, King Xerxes promotes a crazy Hitler-like guy named Haman. Um, The Agagite over all the other nobles making him the most powerful king in the empire. Just really quickly, when Haman saw Mordecai, her cousin, right, would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He'd learned of Mordecai's nationality, but he didn't know about Esther's nationality, watch. He learned about Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai. Instead, he looked for a way to exterminate all the Jews. This is not a time of peace. This is a time of war. Maybe you're, the reason you haven't discovered your purpose, come on a worship team, is because you're waiting for a time of peace to discover it, but maybe the time of upset and chaos that you're in right now is the time that God has chosen. Yeah. You gotta start appreciating those times. The time of pressure, the time of famine. Now, Mordecai says to, to Esther, he directs her and he says, he says, he gave, um, uh, one of the guys in the palace, a copy of the decree that called for the death of the Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked him to, ready, ready? To direct her to, you ready? Go to the king, to beg for mercy, to plead for her people. And if I could sum up your destiny, your purpose, in three things, it is to go to the king. You gotta go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for your people. God has not given you your position so that you can be a mediator for yourself. He has given you the influence that you have, whatever small influence it looks like, he has given it to you so you can go to the king, so you can beg for mercy, so you can plead for your people. Somebody at your work won't come to Christ because you're not going to the king to beg for mercy, to plead for them. We're not supposed to be here Christians like, hey, we're doing better than everybody else. Everybody else can go to hell. no, 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 no. We go to the king. We beg for mercy and we plead for our people. But then she says this, and I'm just going to sum it up really quick. She's like, if I go to the king right now and he doesn't extend his deceptor, nobody's allowed to do that. And they get executed like now. She goes, and I haven't been sent for in 30 days. She goes, things aren't good at home. I can't do this, Mordecai. My health isn't what it should be. I can't. I'm lonely. I'm not married. I can't. I'm waiting for a child. I can't. I'm in debt. I can't. That's the time that God will show it to you. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. Don't think for a moment that your gift makes you exempt from the fate of your people. I see too many Christians right now, like separating themselves from the people around them. We are called to the people around us. We're supposed to love and sacrifice and give our lives for the people around us. Not be in this weird little community. We're like, hey, we're going to heaven. And he says this, my favorite verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise because God is greater from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who know if perhaps, who knows if perhaps you were made a queen for such a time as this. Another translation says you were sent to the kingdom for this time. So your life and your situation right now, you are there because God called you and made you specifically to be there. So stop trying to be somebody else and so stop trying to look at somebody else's gift. God, develop your own gift. Learn how to serve. Learn how to bring the coffee to the... Learn how to serve. Learn how... I'm gonna, we're going to show you what we're serving the, the school teachers in Airdrie with. Learn how to serve and unwrap your gifts so that God can pour out from his anointing and meet their needs. But you've got to start loving and caring about the people and just serving the people around you. Look, they wouldn't need you if they weren't broken. Quit complaining about the brokenness of the people around you. They wouldn't even need somebody like you if they weren't broken.